0: Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith.
1: And you are listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And I have one of my favorite uh, medical experts, Dr. Richard Gibney. On with me today. Hi, Dr. Gibney. How are you?
0: I am great. It's a great time to be. Uh, anytime you're in Texas is great. So it, it's a wonderful day.
1: Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself so they know who they're who they're talking to, who who's talking to? Them?
0: I trained in San Antonio at the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio, and that was from '72 to '77, and so. Uh, I did my fellowship in renal disease in San Antonio, and uh, back then it was a magnificent uh, medical center, and today it's even a better medical center. So uh, Texas is truly blessed with uh, uh, San Antonio being a magnificent Texas uh, medical center.
1: We really Uh, are. That's a a true statement. We have some of the the best uh, nephrologists in the country here.
0: So after training, I went to Waco, Texas. Uh, they had no kidney doctor, and so we started dialysis there. and uh, my goal was simplistic and just having one clinic with a few patients. and uh, I retired uh, from the practice to focus on the empowered kidney program but so by the by the time I retired in uh, April of nineteen, uh, we were up to eleven clinics and 800 patients, so uh, we had wow. done much more than than we'd ever thought of, and uh, during that time, <clears throat> I would say we were, a pretty, we were a pretty traditional program, and then we connected with IHI and uh, Institute of Healthcare Improvement, Don Berwick, Maureen Bisignano, and a wonderful team about how to do quality improvement. They taught us the science of how to do quality improvement patient-centered care, and then uh, in 2012... uh, Wait, I want to
1: stop you there. And so patient-centered care, because uh, that's where my heart lies. Uh, You you know that patient empowerment. how How did meeting that group change what you did with your 800 patients?
0: Uh, changed our lives forever because <clears throat> when the people from Yon Chipping, the head nurse and the patient, came to Waco, Texas, and said, "Of course, you know there's a better way to do things," and, and I knew that because I had met them at the meeting. <clears throat> and so they looked in, and they said, "Well, there's two things you need to do to just to begin: turn the machines to face the patient so they can see what's going on; give them permission with appropriate coaching and training to." touch the machine, and actually build the machine, the dialysis machine, which so we had never done. We had never done that.
1: So those two simple things, turn the machine to the patients and give them permission to touch the machine.
0: Because until that time, we had already done what it's called assembly line dialysis, meaning you come in and we would say to you, Shamia, uh, sit down, uh, be quiet, and don't touch anything. And then after a while, you'd say, gee, I wonder why she's so depressed and helpless. Because you can't do anything and you can't, it's, it's not a good system. This assembly, assembly line does not work for people. Human beings need, need something much more. So uh, because of these people at IHI and from uh, Jönköping, Sweden, we've actually got everything together. So you have to talk to the nurses and the doctors and all the different people to get them together. And we have a magnificent team. And so in 2000, January of 2015, we started converting all of our units to empowered units. When I say empowered, you know, I'm giving instead of taking something from you, I'm giving it back. So when you come to me, your control has been taken away because you're sick and you're sad and you're crying and you feel terrible. And so our job is to restore your dignity, to restore your hope and give you control back. So in the dialysis unit, the simple way is to say, listen, we'll, as a partnership, we'll learn how to build this machine together. And you can take a little bit of it or you can do everything. And by that, you will then have a sense that you have control. And then when you do things, obviously the patients had a dramatic improvement in joy and joy uh, uh, and, and took control rapidly. Uh, But you've got to track data. Everybody has to have some data. I can't just say, well, you're a nice person and it's okay. I say, what's the data?
1: And And what kinds of patients did you take, Dr. Raveny? What kinds of patients did you take? Did you take all the great cherry pick choice patients or did you take the people that were just problem children everywhere?
0: We took first, at first when we started, we wanted to be successful. (laughs) So we took the perfect patients to make sure that this would work. And then people said, like you said, well, you know, they are perfect patients before, so, you know, it, you know, it's okay. We then took the worst patient in the clinic. All right. Didn't treatments, didn't take his medication, and used very bad words.
1: So now that's where the rubber meets the road. Because if you oh, can take the, can know, take the get... worst one and convert them, now that's where the rubber meets the road. Now. So tell, tell me what happened about, there.
0: I, when I tell <laughs> you about the Hope and Caring Clinic, that's when it really gets good. But anyway, we took the worst patients in the unit, and they were absolutely transformative when they had control because they'd wanted control all along, and we'd never given them that opportunity, and he became the best patient in the unit. and go around helping the other patients learn how to build the machines and with any other issues they had. So but uh, doing that, we got up to 70 percent of our patients were doing empowered or where self-care is another term for empowered to be self-care in center dialysis. And so, so uh, huge success. And with that success, uh, we said, you know, we really think we're pretty good. Um, and, uh, we, we started the hope and caring unit and the hope and caring unit was for all the people that had been fired because of doing bad things. And this happens, you know, uh, Unfortunately, way too commonly, where either because of verbal abuse or physical abuse to the staff or somebody, or they do so, they just do something uh, that's not good, and so they get fired. And then the only choice they have is to go to the emergency room to get dialysis uh, because none of the other dialysis units will take them. And we said, the, the, we, we can, you know, we're good. We can, we can handle this. It's okay. So, so, uh, so
1: when somebody's fired. They have to go to the emergency room. Well, the other
0: clinics won't take them because they were fired at the other clinic.
1: So the cost then for that patient is two to three times the cost of going to a regular clinic. So we know that Medicare cost for a regular clinic is about $88,000 a year per patient. So that patient is what, $240,000 a year to be dialyzed?
0: Very, very high. Each
1: one of those those tough cases is about two hundred and forty thousand dollars a year.
0: Yeah. So what we did is we took those patients and you say, Well, those patients, uh, what did we do? And again, it's people want to know that you care and people want to know that you love them. That's just kind of That's normal. human
1: nature, yeah.
0: And so that's what we did. And so all the half of the patients, over half the patients within two weeks, uh, they sensed that this is a caring, loving atmosphere. And then we just put them back in whatever units they were supposed to go to because, because frequently, commonly it was just kind of being at the wrong place at the wrong time and, or maybe, uh, whatever happened. Uh, so that was easy to do. Uh, we, we didn't send patients, um, Because in the past, we were guilty of that also, of of that happening, you know, not commonly, but it should never happen. We think from a moral and ethical standpoint, we should never do that. So anyway, the the most challenging ones to do are the people with uh, illegal drug use or severe psychiatric disease. They're challenging, but they also improved and got better because, again, they're human just like everybody else. And they like somebody that cares about them and loves them. And so uh, amazingly, um, a lot of the patients when they had improved, where they could go back to a unit that was better geographically closer to where they live would say, no, thank you. I want to stay here. And we say, excuse me. And they say, well, I'm loved and cared here and the atmosphere is joyful and I'm happy here. And then Instead, And then we spread this through all the units, this hope and caring concept as far as how to approach people. And so. Uh,
1: and they were building their it. own machine and happy to come in and build their own
0: machine. Yeah, because, because, again, you say to them simplistically, well, you'll have less chance of being in the hospital. You'll live longer and your quality of life will be better. And you'll have control instead of us having control and you don't have any. And people go, yeah, uh, that's for me. So and that's just a few of the, the benefits. You you have a happy, joyful unit of the patients. Uh we have we also had music in the units where the patients would pick music and typically 60s, 70s, 80s music, uh and, and the patients would dance while they're building the machines. And so it changed from a what I call contentious, awkward situation to a joyful one because then you had a partnership, the the things that would happen, which were beautiful, these were just simply beautiful, is that the more senior patients would help the newer patients that were learning how to do things, how to uh, do different things with the machine to make it easier. And then the best thing is when we hired new staff and they were first learning how to do the, build the machines and they were having trouble, one of the senior patients would come over and say, I see you're having trouble. Let me show you how to string the lines. Let me show you how to use the Phoenix meter. So you see that partnership and collaboration where the staff and the the patients sort of blend together, which is the way it's supposed to be.
1: And you're exactly right, Dr. Gibney. I want to say to my listeners, please come back and keep listening to Dr. Gibney. If you have hypertension, diabetes, uh, a history of kidney disease in your family, you're going to want to come back and listen to what he has to say because um, this guy has some answers for those of us who need them in regards to kidney disease. Your power, you can take it back. You can take it back from this disease and you can live a life that of your choosing, but you just need to learn how to do that. And Dr. Gibney and some of his good friends have the answers. So come back, keep listening to On the Record with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with Dr. Richard Gibney. Uh, He's retired, but but uh, never far away from uh, the kidney community. So, Doctor Gibney, tell me a little bit about your latest endeavor, which is the chronic, the uh, governor's chronic kidney disease task force. I, I believe we are calling it the Texas Chronic Kidney Disease Task Force, right?
0: Yes, and uh, the uh, it's an exciting program. Uh, the um, opportunity. And certainly with the pandemic and with what happened with George Floyd, uh, there's a great urgency to do big changes to make things better. So it's opportunity on how do we make things better. So with this, uh, the, the five areas that we're going to work on are legislative things that make things easier for the people of Texas, uh, transplant, uh, dialysis, um uh, CKD meaning chronic kidney disease where there's a mild or moderate decrease of function where you see somebody as an outpatient and then also education. How does that fit into this whole story to make this work? And so it's a huge opportunity
1: and prevention, and we, prevention, prevention, prevention,
0: prevention. Correct. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we stabilize and slow down the loss of kidney function? Right. So our goal, uh, and again, the, um, uh, the governor was very clear. Uh, two things he'd like is, number one, he'd like you to dramatically improve health care and the quality of life for the people of Texas.
1: In a and, cost-effective act, manner.
0: Uh, correct. And with mm-hmm. decreased costs.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, uh, exactly. Uh,
0: and at the same time, that's happening a significant improvement in the patient experience.
1: Exactly. And all of that can be done with, Patient empowerment with engaging patients in the process. You don't want to have what we have today, which is our broken, our little broken healthcare system, that (laughs) that uh, um, needs some help. Our job is to is to come in and and uh, and and help everybody across the spectrum. I believe we have some of the best providers in the in the country. Our our doctors and nurses and staff love and care for the patients that that are uh, in their practices. Uh, They're just in a system that is um, antiquated and needs some some assistance in order to help them do their jobs better and help the patients have a better experience. Everybody's kind of, uh, it's it's the system itself that needs to be uh, recalibrated.
0: And that's really the nice part of the story because you're absolutely right. The doctors, the nurses, the technicians, everybody in the system break their backs every day, work hard that's right. to try everything, everything they can, especially with the coronavirus right now. Uh-huh. So everybody's working hard and they always do that to try to help people.
1: And we're seeing that. I'm, I'm so glad that the public sees that and gets to see that That the reality is is that you have these wonderful Uh, people who have dedicated their lives and have a calling or a mission, if you will, uh, called healthcare. They just are in a system that is broken, (laughs) but they are not, they are good. They are doing what's right. We just need to give them the tools so that they can, they can be productive in what they're doing.
0: And you're absolutely correct that the system forever has been the wrong system because we've always said well we'll do everything for you and we'll leave you out of the solution and it's clear that if the person or patient or person is involved that has the problem is involved in the solution things are going to get better and that's what we did is we simply went from a assembly line approach in the dialysis unit where everybody got the same treatment And they really didn't have any involvement. They just came in, sat down, did nothing for four hours, and then went home to a empowered approach where we said, how would you like control? How would you like to be involved in your care? How would you like to be involved in a solution where you have a better quality of life, you get a dramatic improvement and drop in hospitalization rate, drop in mortality, and this whole place becomes joyful this whole place becomes sharing and in a partnership way. And the patients just grabbed it. And the, the best judge of this whole story, we had 70% when I, when I retired to, to go around and give talks about the uh, empowered and self-care in center, but also empowering CKD uh, story. Uh, 70% of our patients were doing empowered dialysis after four years, and we started with zero and the big numbers which the, the patients are smart they're bright they're talented uh they they look at it and you say here's your data your hospitalization rate fell in half your mortality fell in half and you think wow. do you think if the patient's involved in his care that the patients do better and everybody goes say of course well we need to involve the patients in the solution exactly and, and if we do Big things
1: happen and we're seeing that that shift because the National Institute of health is is involving patients in uh, in their studies in their clinical not just in clinical trials but in the the actual panels where they're deciding okay what what questions are we going to ask physicians? how are we going to conduct this study they're they're bringing patients in at the beginning and and not just at the end as as uh Um, a part of a clinical
0: trial and a good example is in the ckd or the chronic kidney disease where you could have uh, a small amount or a medium or a severe amount of decrease in function and our our job is to figure out how can we stabilize or slow down the loss of function to avoid dialysis and so you don't need some kind of replacement therapy and our goal is very very um I guess you'd call it bold and ambitious. We'd like to get to a point where nobody goes on dialysis again, that we're able to preserve function. And we'll see that, A, by getting the patient more involved, giving them more tools to, so, to have solutions by, again, it gets back to the word you use, system. We change the system to be unique for every person, not just one system for everybody, and think, well, how come these guys didn't do very well? Well, that didn't work for them. We'll change it to something else. And that's what we've done. Um, The second thing is there are a lot of new drugs uh, coming on the market. There's a a drug called SGLT2 inhibitors. And uh, it's a diabetic drug and uh, has both cardiac and renal benefit to stabilize kidney function. And there are many more drugs like this that will be coming on market. And so with the addition of new drugs... There's another drug set that'll be on the market within two or three years that shuts off the the inflammatory or the scarring process that whatever thing's going on with your kidney, this stops the inflammation to scar and again stabilizes function. So one day we can say, Nobody goes on dialysis anymore, it's historical, and during the time it was needed, it was great, but we don't do that anymore. That's coming.
1: Wow, that would be an exciting, that will be an exciting moment. I can see it coming, too, because we have uh, doctors like Dr. Bill Fussell, who uh, has invented an artificial kidney. And I, I know, like, from talking to him that his work is, um, it's moving down the line. Like, he's five years from bringing it to, uh, to the general public and probably two or three years from from uh, real substantial clinical trials.
0: The other important thing is the options of care. And it shouldn't surprise you that what happens is, let's say you come to see me and uh, you have, let's say, mild decrease of function. And so mild to moderate. And so we need to talk about options. Well, I sit there and I say, well, we could do transplant or we could do Home therapy, uh, or we could do in-center self-care, uh, but but we're still going to work very hard to stabilize and slow down your loss of function. But the problem is that you are going through the grief response because you're sad because you don't want to be on dialysis, you don't want to have to have a transplant. You'd like to have you'd like to be healthy and well. And so when I tell you this story, it may go right by you. And I said, well, I told told her that story, but you couldn't hear the story because, because you were so sad or upset about your medical problem. So our job is to continuously tell you the story and then to tailor it for you that what would work for you and everybody's different. All people are unique, and so we have to tailor it. And so if we do that with great intensity of what's important to you. We also have to find that out and say, who are you as a person? Who are you? Because a big difference, if you're an 88-year-old farmer in Hillsborough, Texas, and you uh, run your own cattle and you harvest your own corn and your wheat, you're a capable man. I mean, I couldn't do that. So you put him in a dialysis unit where it's sit down, be quiet, don't touch anything, he'll be miserable, awful. Oh, yeah. so we took him and we trained him for home dialysis because he didn't want that treatment to interfere with running the cattle or, or what he did with his wheat and corn when he had to harvest or plant. So that's why everybody's unique. You'd say, well, if he's 88 years old, you know, uh, how, how much power do people have? And then you have to adjust it for people and find, find what works best for them.
1: And that's exactly right, Dr. Gibney. In our next segment, we're going to have Dr. Gibney come back and talk to us about empowered CKD. And let's hear what he's done to empower the CKD patient, a little bit different from the end-stage renal disease patient. So if you have diabetes, hypertension, or a history of chronic kidney disease in your family, you're going to want to come back and listen And pay close attention to what your options are because the world is opening up for us. I know we're going through COVID 19, but kidney disease is experiencing a transformation. And Dr. Gibney is a part of that. So come back, listen, and learn something new about chronic kidney disease. And you're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. we're back with dr richard gibney dr gibney can you tell us a little bit about a concept that you talked about in the last segment which is empowered uh, chronic kidney disease patients how did you all put together an empowered program for the other stages of ckd stages one through three
0: the answer is it was a wonderful opportunity because as you say you can have CKD one, two, three, four, five, and it's based on <clears throat> based on how much you're filtering. Meaning, uh, oh, what percent of of normal kidney function do you have? Anywhere from 100 uh, percent down to uh, 15 or 10 percent when you have mm-hmm. to worry about having to have some kind of supportive help. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, in doing this. Uh, we we looked at this and the people at IHI and then the people at Jan Chipping, Sweden, said there's this massive force called the patient. And we've never taken advantage of the fact that the most powerful thing in the world is the patient. And if you'll give them permission to be involved in their care, you'll just be amazed at the things they can accomplish. Uh, and that's what's happened. So it covers the whole gamut. So if, if you got – I'll, I'll kind of go uh, – let's start out with CKD. That's why it's so important to find out who are you as a person. What is important to you? And then we can modify the therapy. And our goal is to cure or heal first. If we can't heal, stabilize. If we can't stabilize, slow down the loss of function. And then finally, if that fails, then put you on, on some kind of renal replacement therapy such as dialysis or transplant. But Or, or you can say, no, thank you. Uh, I can you can be conservative therapy and say gee because of all the problems I have and my age etc. I'll just stay where I am and uh, and uh, continue to take good care of me. But I, I don't want to do dialysis and that's and that certainly is fine too. <clears throat> the important point here is the patient is the one making the decision. That's right. Uh, the patient is the one that with their family knows about all these things and you have to take a very proactive role to make sure that you're. Doing this um, because if you don't, then then they and again I go back to that grief response. Uh, the patient and family can miss the whole story, but it's but it's just because we didn't we didn't present it correctly. So we have a a wide variety of ways to present it until we can finally find one when, when the patient says, "I get it now. I got it. I got it." Uh, so empowerment means that instead of stealing, stealing control from you. I'm going to give you control. I'm going to preserve your control. I'm going to preserve your joy. I'm going to preserve your quality of life. I'm going to preserve your, your wellness as far as possible. Big difference. So let's say, and that's very important. You can imagine coming to see the doctor where it's a joyful place, as opposed to depressing and awful, much better chance the patient will actually come. That's just kind of common sense.
1: Exactly. I've, I've been to dialysis units, and even in a children's dialysis unit, because the in a children's dialysis unit, the the nurses uh, and and doctors really work to make it a joyful. The everything about the atmosphere is is to uh, to invoke joy, and even there, it is a hard place for uh, a person to be because you know the dialysis process people often you'll start to feel a little sick to your stomach towards the end of the uh, uh the treatment and you know there's there's just all of the the physical uh mind over matter issues that that as a child you don't know how to even process you know so uh, I can only imagine what an environment that is not geared towards <laughs> trying to create as much joy as possible would be like in a, in a very clinical, austere setting for, uh, for patients.
0: There's a, uh, a app called CKD and Me. I like CKD that app. CKD Me. <laughs> free. It's free. So you can put it on your phone. It's a wonderful animated thing that basically goes through this and talks about the different stages one through five. What are your options as far as how do you deal with it? What could you do? And a whole bunch of different stuff. So I highly recommend CKD and Me. Brilliant thing. And then it doesn't cover everything and. Uh, But it covers a huge amount and gives you your baseline so that whenever you have a question, look at CKD and me. And it's free and it's just a wonderful, uh, it's sort of an animated cartoon, very joyful, very uh, uh, videos on it. So it's, it's really a powerful, powerful app that can give you confidence. And then the Internet in general, there's tons of good stuff on there. But the one thing to start with would be CKD and me. And uh that gives you another tool for you to take control of your health and for you to be able to retain your health and your quality of life
1: oh you're you're exactly right i mean there there are so many uh educational tools out there for for uh kidney patients. We simply have to have access to them and know about it our Our biggest problem uh that i could see uh coming into the the kidney space as as all of the important kidney advocates say <laughs> um the most the the biggest problem was that people don't know about kidney disease which is such a strange thing to me because it's been around for so long you would think that everyone would know what kidney disease is Simply because there are, like in in the city of San Antonio, there are over fifty dialysis units. So when you go to the south side, uh, th- there's dialysis units everywhere. It it doesn't matter what side of town you're on. You can s- you can find a dialysis unit near you. There are even dialysis units in malls. Uh, as at Las Palmas, I want to say there are three dialysis units in that little uh, strip mall. Like they're, they're all over the place. So, but at the same time, people don't know what kidney disease is. They don't realize that diabetes and hypertension lead to kidney disease. Most people don't realize that with diabetes, you could do everything right. You can take all of your medication, know your numbers, and still end up with blindness or an amputation.
0: And we're we're working diligently now to try to make a good partnership and collaboration between the kidney doctor and the primary care physician. Yes. If you look at the healthcare system, you can put in the um, electronic medical record. And you can say, mm-hmm. if somebody has a decrease of kid function or has albumin protein in their urine, mm-hmm. then they need a referral, maybe a referral or a call by the primary care doctor to the uh, a kidney doctor to say, what do you think? What should we do here? That's an easy way because one of the problems is that kidney disease is silent.
1: That's right. Because
0: it's silent, you don't know about it. So, so when so-
1: Dr. Gibney says silent... For my listeners, that means that you do not feel bad. It's not just that it's silent, but you don't feel bad. So you will be going along with your regular life and and your kidney capacity, your kidney function is diminishing and you will feel absolutely nothing. You won't feel any different. Nothing that's significant enough to make you stop and take pause.
0: So with that, you can get a simple blood test and a urinalysis. And then if it's all normal, once a year. And if it's all normal, you don't have to worry about it. You know that your health is fine. And uh, it's a simple, easy way to do it. Um, The programs we have for people going to churches and having their blood pressure checked, um, those are great programs. Uh, The other thing we do is... The ability for us to communicate, and that's a big deal. So, how do you get a simple example? Would be medications. And so, how do we get if if you, if you're if you're on a whole bunch of medicines, how do we get make it so that we make sure you're on the right ones, at the right time, right place? Anyway, the answer is, if the medical team thinks one thing and you think the other, meaning it doesn't, they don't match. Um, there's a term, uh, medication reconciliation. It's a fancy term for saying, do the medicines of the doctor thinks and the medical team and what the patient's actually doing the same. And the success rate right now is 5%. And you think, that's not very good. And so that's another really fun project. Again, if you empower people, you give the power to the patient. And there are very good educational programs where you can say to the patient simplistically, uh, and they can do this easily. Say, I'm on this medicine, I take it this manner, and this is why I take it. And then you have, then the patient has power. They know what they're doing, and they can say, gee, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this. I want to decrease or increase. And they can go to their doctor and say, "Uh, I don't think I need this anymore, or I want to change it. And you, you work as a team, but you've got to give that power to the people. If the person does not know why they're taking medicine, uh, it's not going to work very well. So we have to do a much better job educating the patient, giving them, by educating, I'm talking about changing what we do. Like if I do, we've done it for 50 years, we've done it where it doesn't work. So we now have new approaches, like with the empowerment, where we're saying, you know what, we're going to try this way, and it works. And that's the, that's the same thing as the patient saying, you know, I don't want to be involved in my care, just do whatever you want. Well, you know that if you have gallbladder surgery, probably the surgeon should do the gallbladder surgery. <laughs> but, but if it's medical, where you're taking care of diabetes, hypertension, etc., the person has to be involved because right. it's your body. It You'll do better than anybody engagement. with appropriate education.
1: And you're exactly right, Doctor Gibney. Thank you for giving us good advice and helping us to understand what's going on with. Patience uh, and the fact that we need to engage. Let's talk a little bit about the tools that we have now in the kidney world. Let's talk about the executive order that President Trump signed July 10th, 2019.
0: Uh, This is a magnificent uh, benefit for everybody in the country. And the reason why is the government said, you know what? we can do better. Your outcomes are not very good. Your costs are way too high and the patient experience is terrible and we're going to do better. So he says, okay. So for example, home secretary therapy, Azar
1: was, was uh, instrumental in that secretary Azar, I believe was, was and, uh, uh, Adam Bowler
0: was the guy in charge of the center for Medicare and Medicaid innovation, right? Superstar guy, and this guy, uh, Tom Duvall, was in charge of the renal part of that uh, mm-hmm. process. So uh, great, great people that said, we're going to change things and make it better. So having said that, there are three areas they wanted to make better. Uh, <clears throat> uh, number one, they wanted a lot more transplants because uh, the number of transplants we're doing, and that's why the, uh, uh, hopefully in the next few years having an implantable artificial kidney will change things forever. Uh, number two was uh, home therapy. And again, in America, we have 10% of our patients. 10% of the dialysis patients are on home therapy, even though everybody agrees that's the best form of dialysis.
1: Only and 10% are on it. Correct. Only 10%. When Whereas be- comparing
0: that with foreign countries, Hong Kong, 80% are on home.
1: Okay. Are y'all listening to that? 80% are on home, home dialyzed. They are dialyzed at home. In Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. But
0: In uh, Australia, Canada, Europe, is somewhere typically between 30 to
1: 40%. Still so we're, considerably higher than us. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing very
0: good. We need to do better. We can do better. And, and, and it,
1: that's what, what the government said with the executive order. They said, you're going to do better.
0: They gave us. you're going to do better. (laughs) better. I mean, thank God. God bless the government. Uh, Yeah. They they said, you can do better, and we're going to give you guidelines on how to do it because what you're doing now is not as good as it can be. So God bless them. And then, so it's the uh, transplant, home therapy, and then CKD, the people with uh, either mild to moderate loss of function. You're going to have to do better to decrease the number that go on dialysis because you're not doing a very good job and you can do better. And so,
1: so let me get this straight. This administration charged healthcare professionals with outcome based care. Yep. Outcome based care right there. That's, that is a revolutionary idea. That is something in terms of our healthcare system that we have never seen before this administration made that decision.
0: So in doing this, um, there's a thing called self-care in-center dialysis. And it's kind of similar to home therapy, but you do it, instead of at home, you do it in-center. And uh, we had tried it in the 70s and it didn't work very well because we were doing everybody assembly line uh, full service and only a couple of people. So it was like, you know, the culture, the the cultures were not compatible. And so, uh, when we did self-care in center dialysis, uh, copying the people from Yonchipping Sweden, where they've had huge success in Europe, uh, doing this self-care in center dialysis, uh, the patients obviously love it because they have control, They dramatically improve their quality of life. They dramatically decrease hospitalizations and mortality. They live longer. I mean, uh, this is not a hard sell. Uh, The patients in America are bright, smart, and if it's good, they'll do it. And if it's no good, they won't do it. So uh, (laughs) that's that's your ultimate judge. And so you look at this and you say, it's a much better deal to have everybody, and this is a transition we're beginning. If everybody's on self-care, then going home is so easy because you're already doing everything yourself so instead of instead of having to spend two months on training to learn how to do home care you can spend only a week so a dramatic improvement makes it much quick, uh so this is just a beginning process but self care in center hemodialysis uh is going to revolutionize the whole process and we're just beginning that process so uh
1: and it would really prepare people to be able to go home now you've you've had professionals there kind of guiding you, you you will be comfortable and ready to go to your, your house and do this very same thing and uh, re, and resume life, a normal pattern of life.
0: And you can imagine if, uh, if you crash into the hospital and uh, you have to go on dialysis, and we say, well, you know, why don't you go home? <laughs> you go, well, wait a minute. I don't know about that. You know, how confident and comfortable are people saying, well, you know, yeah, we can train you, you know, you can go home. Uh, That's really a a severe transition. Much better to say, you know what, we're going to put you in center on self-care. You'll learn all this stuff and then you can go home. But I I should tell you, it depends on the person because it's such a loving, caring environment in the dialysis unit that some people will say, you know, either because they have bad uh, situations at home or because they're, they live by themselves and they're all alone. They like the dialysis unit because it gives them a place where they can have love and they can have people caring about them with the other patients and the staff that they don't have at home.
1: Well, yeah. So because, because human beings need human contact. And we do find that, that for a lot of people who are, are 65 and older and the average kidney patient is 65, um, Um, then they don't necessarily have the contact with kids and with extended family and with immediate family that one uh, thinks of. Every family unit is not uh, a nuclear close family unit. Uh, Some family units are are estranged. So you're exactly right. They need that human contact. COVID-19 has kind of taught us that even within my own uh, office, you know i have have some uh, during my day job i have employees who live alone and uh i'm making my business to talk to them because one i adore them <laughs> and two uh um none of us really realized how much we interact with each other uh and only with each other when until covid-19 hit and we were all kind of in our own little little corners and our my my folks who are by themselves really felt being by themselves you know and and uh, the rest of us realized oh wait we need to we need to pull this person in and make sure that that uh that they get some attention
0: absolutely and uh so it again it's that whole question of uh <clears throat> recognizing recognizing patients abilities and their humanity
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in doing that if you have a staff where it's kind of all the same process that the home the staff that are training people to do home dialysis and the staff that are taking care of patients in center are all using the same technique of we're going to help you and as I say uh, here's a good example disabilities don't matter does so if you're mentally slow that just means that we modify it uh, if you've uh, got rheumatoid arthritis, uh, ex- quick quick, quick examples, a lady with really bad rheumatoid arthritis, she can build her machine. Now, how she gets her hands to get the tubing and everything else, she's just committed. She's going to do it. We didn't tell her. She just said, I'm going to do it. Or uh, a lady that's mentally slow, that she was looking around at the other patients, and they were all doing everything. And she said, what about me? And the staff was kind of like, well, you know, and she was starting to get mad. They said, okay, okay. So the staff carefully trained her to pull the needles herself. And then she was happy and joyful because she was doing that. Everybody, Just like everybody else, always assume that you can, you can do something to give people power.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Um, with the, the process involved with, with dialysis, everybody feels nervous you know like the first time you see it 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 makes you nervous but the people that are in those dialysis clinics those nurses the doctors uh they spend the majority of their time trying to put the patient at ease so that they can can go through uh this process I like what you're talking about because that puts their efforts and the patient's efforts in alignment. (laughs) You know, the two of the, between uh, all parties, you can have an amazing outcome for each patient.
0: When I'm giving talks, people will frequently say, well, what about the liability? And I said, it's the opposite. There is no liability. Who do you think cares more about what's going on? So, you who have cares an army- more about
1: getting that needle in there right? The patient? or you the patient?
0: Correct. <laughs> the, the, the patients that cannulate themselves, they never have a problem. They know how to do it. They—that's their own body. They do great. Exactly. Uh, the same thing with uh, everything else. That, uh, and, and the really nice thing about it is. That it's a partnership collaboration. So, let's say if the if uh, if the texts that are putting out the disposables put out the wrong thing, the patient will catch that. But not in a way of a gotcha, not a gotcha thing. But it's it's, it's uh, I'm helping you, you help me. It's mutual love for each other, and say no problem. You know, thanks, thanks for thanks for catching that. Uh, so it improves the safety. It improves the the whole process. Uh, which is really what you should expect if, you know, if the patient uh, is involved in their care, we had a problem where there's, there's a thing called the Phoenix meter, where after you get everything set up, you check the, the, uh, dialysator, the fluid that goes around the, the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the membrane that's, that, that separates it from the blood to take off all the toxins and just make sure that it, the, the, the conductivity is correct. And, uh, the patients never drop one. If you drop one, it costs eight hundred dollars to get it fixed. The patients never drop one uh so they're always so the staff it's just because before they were rushing around to try to get everybody done. Staff are great, but sometimes if you're rushing, patients don't rush
1: and there you go. patient empowerment, saving. Saving lives and money all the way all the way around throughout the process, thank you, Dr. Gibney, for spending your time and energy with us today and talking with us about uh chronic kidney disease, the kidney task force, and what's going on in the world of kidneys. I will be bringing you back on to talk with us some more about what's happening with with the latest innovations in kidney disease since you're the guy that seems to keep up with everything that's going on you have your finger on the pulse of kidney of the kidney world <laughs> thank you again thank you for your help and you have you all have been listening to on the record with Tiffany if you want to know more about uh, chronic kidney disease or ways you can be involved in uh, helping in the kidney community, then go to www.txkidney.org and check out what the Texas Kidney Foundation is doing. Um, we offer free kidney screenings and you can find out what your, the very thing that Dr. Gibney was talking about, what your albumin levels are and what your your uh, EGFR is through one of our free screenings. All you have to do is Call, text, or go online, and you can find out about your kidney. You can start the process of of finding out about your kidney health. All right, you all have a wonderful evening, and wear your mask, social distance, stay safe, and be good Texans. You're listening to On the Record with Tiffany.
0: You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.